KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. One would think it would be impossible to talk about a president of the United States without focusing on politics. Well, maybe not. I never mentioned the words Republican, Democrat, liberal or conservative in the book, except once or twice when they were directly quoted by other people. I just really focused on the issues that they focused on and how they affect us today. Ronald Gruner is the author of We the Presidents, a book that examines the presidents of the United States over the last century, starting with Warren G. Harding. He discusses the impact of presidential policies over time with a strong focus on economics. In virtually every presidential chapter, talk about how that president affected the economics of the average person, income, for example, during his presidency and going beyond that. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In Depth, we'll go back in history and look at the effect, both positive and negative, that different presidents have had on the United States of America. Tell us a little bit about your background, because I'm fascinated. You are not the the typical person we see produce very, very healthy biographies of political figures. I have a somewhat different background, as you observe. I have an engineering background. I've spent my whole life working computers and as an entrepreneur starting three companies. That's one aspect of my background I mentioned. The other aspect that's different is I grew up in Oklahoma, a very red state, which I loved. And then I moved to Massachusetts when I was in college to work in the computer business in Massachusetts, one of the bluest of the blue states. So I have friends and family on both sides of the political spectrum. I have found, and I think many people have, that we've become very divided as a country in terms of our opinions. And I just felt as an engineer and hopefully objective in my thinking, although none of us really are completely, I could write a book that focused on the presidents with no politics involved, really focused on the issues that made them different and how they contributed to the United States. So that's what I did. I went back 100 years, starting with Warren G. Harding, all the way through Donald J. Trump. I never mentioned the words Republican, Democrat, liberal or conservative in the book, except once or twice when they were directly quoted by other people. I just really focused on the issues that they focused on and how they affect us today. Give us a ballpark. How long did you work on this? And was this a main focus for an amount of time? Or was this something that was always you were always kind of working on on the side while pursuing other projects? No, it was a main focus for four years. I actually kind of stumbled into it. I began thinking about writing a book early on about economics and the national debt, because I thought that's going to be incredibly boring. And I thought maybe I should talk from a perspective of the president. So I began in June of 2017 and worked on it pretty consistently. By that, I mean four to six to eight hours a day, most days for the next four years. It's something I kind of fell in love with and enjoyed getting up in the morning, having a cup of coffee, catching up on the news, and then spending six hours writing. The push of the book is you're looking at kind of the impact all these presidents have had today. And I guess when we think impact, we think kind of a positive effect, but it's very possible for a president to have a a long-term negative impact, no? That's correct. And I can give you examples of both. On the negative side, we'll start going back 100 years with Orangey Harding and Calvin Coolidge. Harding, in 1921, passed the Immigration Act of 1921, and Coolidge followed up on that in 1923. And those immigration acts put quotas in place, very strict quotas, that limited immigration from Southern Europe and Eastern Europe. It's hard to understand now, but back 100 years ago, Italians were very much discriminated against. And so that immigration, those immigration quotas, really drastically cut the immigration of Italians in the United States starting in the early 20s, as well as Jews fleeing Soviet Russia after the revolution 
1923 by Calvin Coolidge. And that affected our thinking for really literally decades and decades until 1965. That's a negative aspect. A positive aspect I would give you would be Jimmy Carter. He, in many respects, is a very much an underappreciated president. He passed more regulation, deregulating American industry than any president in the last 100 years. That includes transportation and energy. Transportation, the airlines, the railroads, trucking, and much of the energy was deregulated by Jimmy Carter. How did you decide what to focus on, what to include? Because you know you could go a lot of different directions with a lot of different presidents. Well, one thing that runs through the book is economics. In virtually every presidential chapter, talk about how that president affected the economics of the average person, income, for example, during his presidency and, and going beyond that. Just to think of an example, I talk about income for the average American peaked in 1968. If you go back and adjust income against inflation, that really peaked in the very late 1960s. And it's been essentially flat since then. It, it peaked up a little bit the last three or four years, but we're talking about a very minor peak relative to the growth from 1945 to 1970. So I talk about that. I talk about the national debt, how that was reduced in the 1920s and how we never saw a reduction of that magnitude again until the late 1990s under uh, Bill Clinton. So those are some of the themes that run through the book. I'm curious, when you take the approach you took, you know, trying your best to look at it strictly through data and information and not getting partisan, is it easier to do presidents further back in history because it's much simpler to look through the lens of, well, what did they do? What did they not do? What did they accomplish? Where did they fall short? Than it is more recent presidents because, you know, I would think even going back, you mentioned Jimmy Carter, it is just so hard to find things that aren't painted by, you know, partisan brushes. Did you find it easier or was it pretty much the same across the board? I would say it was pretty much the same. I just tried to filter out the politics. I mean, I did a tremendous amount of research. And uh, when I felt I was reading partisan politics, basically integrating at the individual level. I mean, whenever you see somebody denigrating a president at the individual level, then I typically filter that out and said, OK, show me objectively what he did. That wasn't too difficult. But, you know, dirty politics go way, way back. I mean, uh, Fr uh, Franklin Roosevelt had all kinds of political issues. I mean, he was a street fighter in his own way. Very, very tough. And of course, he had some pretty fierce enemies on the other side. So politics were as strong then as they are today. Although what we've got today, and I'm going to backtrack on this a little bit, is we have a very aggressive social uh, media. We have cable news. We have much more media distribution of information than we had back then. But back then, radio was the coming technology. And you had people on the radio like Father Coughlin. Many people don't know his name, but he was as popular as anybody on cable news is today. Had tens and tens of millions of listeners. And he was espousing keeping the United States out of a European war and was very anti Semitic and very pro Nazi near the late 1930s. So we had all kinds of issues, even going back to uh, the, the Roosevelt years and, and before that. So there's really very little new in presidential politics. And that was kind of my next question. In, in reading your book, and I like to consider myself a history junkie reading other books, one of the things I'm fascinated is how much. The names may change, but the games remain the same. You mentioned the immigration under Harding and Coolidge, and you mentioned how Italians were, were discriminated against. And we see the same things. You just kind of change who's going to be the person pointed at as everything's their fault. 
Yeah, that's true. And I'm just staying with the immigration theme for a minute. I mean, that goes, I'm sure, as you know, way back to the Immigration Act of 1790, which was one of the first acts passed by Congress when we were a new nation. And that act basically said individuals that come to the United States are not born here can only be that become naturalized citizens of the United States if they're free white. You had to be a Caucasian. And that basically affected our immigration policies for you know, well over a century. Many people don't realize, but it wasn't until 1952 that most Asians were allowed to become naturalized citizens. 1952, if, if somebody came from India, smart, well-educated, a great contributor to the American economy, he or she could not become an American citizen until the early 1950s. Remarkable. We need to take a break. We will have more with Ron Gruner right after this. This is KYW News Radio In-Depth. And we are back on KYW News Radio In-Depth, continuing our conversation with Ron Gruner, author of We the Presidents, How American Presidents Shaped the Last Century. Who would you consider the most underrated president of the last hundred years, the president that probably doesn't get the credit for things that he accomplished? Well, I'm going to say two names, uh, Harry Truman and Jimmy Carter. Let me just mention Jimmy Carter again. I have a lot of respect for him, and particularly after doing as much research I did. He contributed four very significant things to the United States during his short presidency. Three very positive, one quite negative. The first is, as I mentioned, he uh, was very much into deregulating American industry, deregulated transportation, the airlines, first of all, railroads and trucking, that reduced the cost of all three of those transportation modes and opened up airline travel to millions more of Americans, although it's not as luxurious as it was back in the 60s and 70s. So that was the first thing he did. The second thing he did that was very positive was he recognized the first president that the issue we have with energy in the United States is not production, it's conservation. Energy consumption had been growing since the late 1940s at 1.5% per year per capita. It was just unsustainable. We were using far more energy every year per person than we, we could possibly sustain, no matter how much we drilled. So he said, we have to focus on conservation. So starting with this Energy Act of 1978, the consumption of energy per person slowed and then leveled off and flattened and then it began a slow decline. So we're using energy at about the same rate as we were in 1978 on a consumption basis. And if he had not done that, we would never, ever have been close to energy independence, no matter how much we drilled. So that was the second thing he did. The third thing he did, which caused him to lose the presidency, was he hired Paul Volcker to run the Federal Reserve. As many of you listeners, I'm sure know that during the 1970s, we had something called stagflation, where unemployment was very high and inflation was very high. And the Federal Reserve just were not sure what to fight first, unemployment, which is popular politically, or inflation, which is still painful, but they were at a, at a loss to how to proceed. Paul Volcker had no issues. He said, inflation is enemy number one. We're going to fight that. So he drove interest rates up with the Federal Reserve all the way up into almost 20%, which increased mortgage rates, made borrowing much more difficult, was politically extremely unpopular, but had to be done to break inflations back. And by 1982, as Reagan had come into presidency, he had broken inflations back. It stayed controlled up until the last year or so, which we give Paul Volcker credit for. But it cost Jimmy Carter the presidency. The fourth thing he did, which wasn't so good, was Operation Cyclone. Now, this doesn't get much recognition in, in biographies, but when Russia invaded Afghanistan in 1979, there was a Russian-leading government in place, which had been uh, turned over in the late 1970s. Russia invaded Afghanistan to bring basically restore that power structure. And secretly, 
Carter, which Brzezinski, his secretary of state, I believe, was uh, basically began to move American resources, weapons and money into Afghanistan to counter the Russians. And that was our first real entry into Middle East politics, other than the installation of the Shah by Eisenhower in 1953. And that had a huge backlash in the Middle East, including with Osama bin Laden, who was a fighter on our side, but eventually said, Westerners have no business in the Middle East and turned against us. And so to some extent, what the issues we've had in the Middle East starting in the early 1990s, the, the first bombing of the World Trade Center in 93, all go back to the decision to put American resources and money and backing into Afghanistan in 1979. That was one mistake that Jimmy Carter made, in my opinion. And you mentioned Harry Truman. Harry Truman, of course, was a great president. He he had only been vice president for 83, 82, 83 days when Roosevelt died and only had one or two in-person meetings with Roosevelt. So he had no background about Roosevelt's ideas about what to do after the war, had no knowledge of the atomic bomb, for example. But what he did was he fought the hardliners inside his administration who, after the war, wanted to turn Germany, for example, into a giant potato patch. As Joseph Goebbels in Germany said, they wanted to basically deindustrialize Germany completely, make it an agricultural nation. And he said, we can't do that. He actually sent Herbert Hoover over to Germany and Austria to research the issue and say, how should we handle Germany? Hoover came back, who, as I'm sure you know, was a very strong conservative, said, we can't do that. We have to have a strong industry in Germany to uh, be successful. They counted that. And they said, what we're going to do is restore Germany strength and build, give them a democratic government. And they did the same thing with Japan. They allowed Japan to keep their emperor, which was extremely important. And today, Japan and Germany are two of our very strongest allies. He supported that. The other thing that he did was, of course, was to put in place the plans to basically counter a growing aggressive Soviet Union in the Warsaw Pact countries and out of that NATO group and became the strategy we pursued for the next 45 years in terms of a Cold War strategy. That's more arguable, but he played a major role in countering the Soviet Union's growth after World War II. Those are two significant factors that he should get credit for, which at the time, in many cases, were very, very popular. He, When he left the presidency in 1952, he left as really the most unpopular president in our recent history over the last 100 years by far. But today, historians, when they look back at him and look at the decisions he made and the impact he had, consider him one of the top six presidents over the country's lifetime. On the other end of the spectrum, through your research, is there a president you feel that maybe gets too much credit for what they did as opposed to when you really dig into it, what their accomplishments were? Is there a president you think is overrated? I'm going to have to mention Ronald Reagan's name. I think Reagan was a great, great president. He did a great thing to the United States, restored a sense of pride to the United States, and I have great, great respect for Ronald Reagan. But to some extent, he rode Carter's coattails, and Carter did not get credit for that. I'll give you a couple of examples. The day of inauguration at lunchtime, he announced that the Iranian hostage hostages in the uh, embassy had been released. That had been a deal that Carter had been negotiating for months and months and signed that deal actually the day before Inauguration Day. But Carter chose not to announce that because the hostages were not free of Iranian airspace. It was only after they were out of Iranian airspace that that was announced. Ronald Reagan could have given Carter credit for that. He could have said, in my opinion, he could have said, I want to thank former President Jimmy Carter for negotiating the release of the Iranians. Instead, he got credit for that. And many people, I would say the vast majority of people think Reagan did that. He did not. Carter did that. 
The second thing that happened was that Carter had passed deregulation of energy and oil two years before Reagan took the presidency. That was over a timed area of expiration of those uh, regulations. Time to expire as in May of 81, three months, four months after Reagan was in office. Reagan came in and immediately accelerated that deregulation and took credit for that. And so most people say it was Reagan that deregulated energy, not Carter. So I think that was the two things that I think was a mistake on Reagan's part. Reagan was a great communicator. He had spent his whole life in communications and radio first and then the movies. He was a spokesperson for General Electric. He was on television. He was a great, great communicator. Carter had spent his whole life as a Sunday school teacher. And I don't say that disparagingly, but he basically was of the belief that the meek will inherit the earth. And he never countered the comments about who actually freed the hostages or who cut inflation or who basically deregulated energy. So that's one comment I'll make about Ronald Reagan. Does the president shape the times or do the times shape the president? That is a great, great question. And historians still argue about that. Does the man make the history? The history make the man? I would say mostly history makes the man. You put people in different situations. Harry Truman is an example of that. Harry Truman was considered a lightweight for much of his political career. Truman was Roosevelt's third vice president. He brought him in basically strictly for political reasons, never involved him in any decisions, considered him a lightweight. What happened historically as Truman took office, he rose to the occasion and really changed history. So the fact that he had an opportunity to change history that made him in many respects, otherwise I think he would have had an undistinguished career his whole life. A couple of names we haven't mentioned are presidents, I think, that have very different legacies, good and bad. And it's Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon. I mean, you talk about Nixon and obviously the political dirty tricks in Watergate, but he did a lot of legislating. And when you look, in my opinion, if you look strictly at his legislative record in 2023, he might be considered a Democrat because of some of the things he did. Lyndon Johnson put in place so many things that people take for granted today as part of the great society, but could never get himself out of Vietnam. And obviously, that's eventually what took him down. How do you look at those two specifically and the impact they've had on the world? Well, I think you're right on regarding Nixon. If it wasn't for Watergate, I think Nixon would be considered one of our great presidents. Nixon opened up China. He opened up Russia. He basically began to defuse the Cold War. And he did that at a time where there were still very strong feelings. We're in the middle of the Vietnam War. And so the very strong feelings against communists in China and Russia. But he opened it up and began to defuse the Cold War with his Troika strategy. That was one thing he did. The other thing he did was, this is remarkable, you say he would have been more of a Democrat than a Republican. He basically promoted conservation and developed and set in place the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, because in the 1960s, our cities were terribly polluted. Our rivers were polluted. The air was filthy. People were dying of pollution in cities when we had lows come in and because of smog. And so he passed a great deal of legislation, basically in terms of conservation. He got the United States off the gold standard. Now, that's somewhat controversial, but you cannot run a modern country, most economists believe, if your currency is tied to the gold. And so he got the United States off the gold standard in 19, uh, what was that, 71, I believe. Those are three factors. Of course, he got the United States out of Vietnam, which was a very difficult thing to extract ourselves from. But he did do that. And after that, the communists took over all of Vietnam. But interestingly, Vietnam is one of our greatest trading partners. And we have a great relationship with Vietnam and tourists go to Vietnam and visit. And that country is very much opened up. So Nixon would have been a great president, but he was paranoid and he got himself in the whole Watergate situation. And that brought him down, which was a tragedy. 
Talking about Lyndon Johnson, he grew up in dirt poor Texas. They had carrots and lambs. He taught school for several years to very, very poor Hispanics and children in very poor Texas. And so his love was to help the poor in every way he could. So when he passed the Great Society, that was his first love. He wanted to focus on that, but he got sucked into the Vietnam War. And near the end of his presidency, he said, I had no choice. If I walked away from the Vietnam War and didn't fight that, I would be called a coward and surrendering America's interests. So I had to fight that. But when I fought that, I lost the battle with a great society. And so he died a broken man and died shortly after he left the presidency, a broken man, because he couldn't pursue the great society and got sucked into the Vietnam War. Now, in retrospect, maybe there's a way he could have avoided that, but it would have been hard at the time. Is there a president that your research doing the book kind of completely changed the way you looked at them? Like once you really learned how the sausage was made during their term, you had maybe, you maybe not agreed, but you had a much deeper appreciation for them. Well, uh, that would be Warren G. Harding. Warren G. Harding was a much better president than people realize. He was only the president for two and a half years. He died in August of 1923 of a, a stroke or heart attack. But he, uh, in many respects, was a strong president going back 100 years. He, he inherited a, a very uh, divided and a very a troubled nation. He was the first president to campaign on America first. That was his campaign slogan, believe it or not, America First. He had posters that said that. And the purpose for that was we had just come out of World War One, in which 117,000 Americans died over 18 months in World War One, fighting what they viewed in America as a European war. So when Woodrow Wilson wanted to move the United States into the League of Nations, many people did not want to do that. And Harding, right or wrong, retrospectively, basically resisted that and campaigned on America First, one aspect. But the other aspect was they had just been through the Spanish flu in 1918, where uh, 650,000 Americans died. That was when the country was one third the size we are today. So that would have been like almost 2 million Americans dying in a period of less than two years. And so we had been decimated by that. And lastly, we were suffering from extremely high inflation paying off the war debt after World War I. He took all three of those issues and dealt with them actually quite well in the short two and a half years of his presidency. He was also very brave with respect to uh, racism. There were horrible race riots in the 19-teens and early 1920s. Tulsa, I'm from Oklahoma, and as you, I'm sure, know, there was a horrible race riot there in 1921, killed uh, dozens or maybe more he basically condemned that. And he was the first sitting president to go to the Deep South, in this case, Birmingham, Alabama, and condemn racism. That was a very brave thing to do in 1921. Warren G. Harding did that. What brought him down was his friends, basically. He never got involved in corruption, but his secretary of the Treasury, secretary of the state, a lot of his crooked friends from Ohio extorted money during the prohibitionary against bootleggers, the Teapot Dome scandal in Wyoming, the uh, Secretary of the Interior that took a bribe to allow that to be done with no bidding. And so that's what brought him down. And of course, a book in 1928 called The President's Daughter, where a woman rightfully claimed that he had fathered a child while he was senator. So those are all things that happened after he died. But he, uh, in many respects, was a much greater president than people realize. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.